Hello, welcome to the CRK Mailbag. Tom the T-Shirt Man here, and I uh, hope you had a good bank holiday weekend. I certainly did. Um, I was back in Castle Gregory, had a nice time. I got kind of sunburned a little bit, but you know what? It's okay. Well, actually, no, it's not okay. There's any kids listening to this. Do not get sunburned. Um, avoid that if you can. Um, but yeah, had a few drinks. Uh, kids, avoid that too. Do not be drinking. Don't do it. Um, but yeah, other than that, pretty good. And uh, I've decided that it's time for a TRK Mailbag. I've got a lot of uh, questions and uh, stuff like that to get to. If you would like a question sent into the next TRK Mailbag, which will be next week and every Monday or the first day of the week, um, I will be putting out a schedule for the upcoming week um, going forward so you can get a good idea as to what's coming out on all the tiers. Uh, I was speaking to Patreon and they said, maybe you should do stuff like that. Maybe that would be pretty cool, huh? Maybe maybe your subscribers would like that. Um, but yeah, so uh, one of the first questions I had in came in through Patreon um, and it was this. Um, Everybody can accept that Peter Romani is very, very good at the breakdown. Elite, almost, at the breakdown. If you were looking at my uh, work rate articles on the 10 euro tier, you would know that to be a fact. Um, but why is he so good at the breakdown? And it's a very good question. A very, very good question. Um, like, you can say stuff like that, and I realise I do this also, where you kind of say stuff like, oh, he's really good at the breakdown. He's a really good rock guy or a really good offensive breakdown player but not really explain why that is or why somebody would be good or bad at, at that area of the game. It does kind of fall under that kind of bracket of being sort of the the invisible metrics where everybody can kind of see what a big carry looks like. Everybody can see what, um, you know, a good kick into the corner looks like. Everybody can see what a good, like an offload or a nice pass looks like. But good breakdown performances, they can almost be invisible. Even if somebody's got a really high workload, they can end up looking like not very much at all. And I think that part of the reason why Peter Romani, in, in, in this instance, has taken so much criticism from people who don't necessarily want to see what he does, um, gets criticised for not carrying the ball an awful lot or not throwing in a whole bunch of tackles um, and stuff like his breakdown work, which is a constantly good area of his game and has been for I think actually since he's broken through as a professional people like to look at that and dismiss it anybody who knows the game to any serious level understands one how good and how important uh, a, a, a breakdown um, and a good offensive rock platform is to almost every single attack you could possibly you could possibly want to launch and over the last couple of years how valuable Peter Romani is to any team who wants to utilize the core areas of the game like why Peter Romani is so good and why he's so valuable and has been so valued in the last number of years is one the line out has become more important than ever more important in the scrum that's that's been the case for a while when it comes to being a kind of a core attacking platform uh, Peter Romani is one of the best in the world offensively and defensively at that area of the game but at the breakdown as well um, Joe Schmidt had a massive focus on the breakdown as a coach um, so of course Peter Romani would have been a core part of any team that he would have been putting out there because Peter Romani is very very good but what do I mean by that how is he good well one of the first things that you want to look at for any sort of um, offensive breakdown player who's kind of like their primary focus is that they're going to be hitting a lot of rocks is you want to have that ability to hit 
that load of rocks and to do so accurately. Um, there's a couple of different metrics that I don't like out there, which is one, the first arriving metric. Because um, you'd often see that mentioned in the in like after Six Nations games, because that's one of the stats that they put out to the media center, is the amount of first arrivals at the breakdown. For me, first arrivals mean nothing unless your breakdown work is actually accurate once you get there. That tells you that you like arriving first tells me that you won the race. But what did you do when you were there, right? That's the most important thing for me. At the on the offensive side of the ball, did you clear the threat? Did you create a rock that makes that, that means that we have an offside line to play off? Did you, um, you know, make a pocket for a player to play into? Um, one of the things that I like about Pedro Manny, and this is kind of has been a constant throughout his career, is his instinct, which is he knows the rocks that he has to hit. He has the um, the intelligence, I suppose, to understand as well as a spatial awareness to understand that. He needs to fucking hit top gear here and secure this rock at pace in the edge spaces. Because if you look at the way where Peter Manny plays most of the time, from an offensive perspective, it's in the edge. It's at the, the edges of the play. Now, why is that different from playing in the middle of the field when it comes to your breakdown work? In the middle of the field, when you're maybe carrying off nine or maybe sometimes even off ten, your breakdown routes are far more settled and they're closer to you usually. In the edge spaces... The breakdown could be very, very far away, and or, or else it's happening at at like top pace, um, in those edge spaces where we'll say the pass goes out into the fight into the fifteen meter tram line, um, somebody makes a carry. There's less defenders there, so if you make it, you know, make a a gain with the ball in hand, that means that the ensuing rook that's going to come up is going to be a big threat for the opposition. They're going to put a lot of resources into stealing that ball because there's fewer defenders there. But a lot of the time, there are fewer attackers also. So what Peter Manny is very good at is winning those wide rocks. So if you have any sort of attacking platform that needs to bounce between 15-meter line and 15-meter line, Peter Manny is a guy that you want in your team because what he consistently brings is dominant breakdown or uh, dominant cleanouts in the breakdown in those wide spaces. And that comes down to his instinct as in he knows and has a good idea as to when he'll be needed to come in and enter a ruck. So if he makes a pass, you'll often find him in, in, in the white spaces. You'll often find him tracking at an angle. So he'll be running in at an angle at around maybe 45 degrees where he knows that he can maybe take a pass if needs be, but he can also readjust really quickly. And this is one of the things as well, from a physical perspective, he's incredibly agile and flexible for a, a guy who's six foot three, a pretty, you know, a, a pretty tall player. Um, he's really good at readjusting his feet and then getting his body very, very low and straight so that when he makes those cleanouts and he does these at pace, like one of the biggest things I saw from the Six Nations just gone is, is that Josh van der Fleer has the most amount of guard actions that I saw and tracked for Ireland in that time, which means that he was the guy who would come in and track across the field and basically snap down on the player on the ground and you know create a ruck which creates an offside line. So that, like, that, that allows you to keep the opposition hemmed into a certain bit of space. It means that they're not going to go after the, 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 the breakdown because you've secured the rook. But what Peter Romani had, he had far more dominant cleans, which is where in the wide spaces, he would be required to come in and clean somebody out as opposed to securing the rook. He had to clear somebody out and he's very, very good at getting low and, at, and attacking in at pace and getting a good straight line right through 
the, the, the jackal threat. And what that does is, is that it blows the guy off the ball. What you don't want, and this is one of the reasons why I mark people down for inaccurate ruck entries is, that you could be there first, but like one of my big criticisms of James Ryan this season was, is that his ball carrying and his line work had actually really improved, but his breakdown work had gone backwards. Because for me, what he was doing was flopping over the rucks and he wasn't cleaning out threats. He was, you know, missing the target a lot of the time. He was there first, but there seemed to be a real lack of control in what he was doing. And one of the things that you'll notice about Peter Romani is, is that even though he's coming in very, very quickly into these breakdowns, the vast majority of the time, like I'm not even going to throw a percentage, but I'm just going to say far more often than not, he is in complete control of his body during those moments. Like some of the cleanouts he's done at pace, have been just so accurate and so physical as in we're talking about cleaning guys out around the body not giving him a you know not giving the the referee and the TMO a chance to catch you out for anything that's close to the head or neck um, and that, that, like, that's one of the big difference makers I think for Romani is that he brings real pace venom to the breakdown but he's very very rarely when it comes to the offensive side of the ball um, dangerous or illegal and believe me, for a guy who goes into the rocks as quickly and as as uh, spitefully as he does, you've got to be very, very clean when you're going in. If you're going in as hard as he does, otherwise you'll just end up getting yellow carded and red carded every other game. But that's one of the big, uh, I would say, the big advantages of Peter Romani is that he's so flexible and agile for a guy who's 6'3" that he's able to get into a great shape really quickly so that he rarely is stumbling off his feet or losing his balance. And that's one of the big things on, on Peter Romani is that he's the king of the one-man clean. Like, he is so powerful and dominant in those moments where, again, with his guard actions and everything else, like, he is always a high-volume worker in, in those spaces. Like, you look at his work rate, even in the first 33 minutes of the final, that's a guy who was maxing out the breakdown in that game and he's not just good at that area of the game he's actually really good at most areas of the game but for me the breakdown work has been a constant world-class um ability of his to, to consistently just be the best player in the field when it comes to the offensive breakdown and that's one of the one of the best things that he does um this one is from trk secret club uh, and it is um Quick question for um, what other teams besides Munster and La Rochelle play possession-based rugby? I heard uh, you mention Exeter on the podcast. Um, Exeter are good. Um, like you look at um, the way that they play, like Saracens I think has changed as well. They're more of an on-ball team. Most of the French teams now are kind of playing more on-ball rugby. Um, I think Bordeaux are a good example of that. Um, La Rochelle certainly are, are one of the best examples of it I think Toulouse are trying to go that way also and this is one of the areas where there's a bit of a disconnect between the French national side and uh, a lot of the clubs um, is that they are you know the, the, the national side plays off ball rugby for the most part because the, the players who are coming into the French team are from such different environments that to uh, you know put together in, in a short period of time a sort of on ball game it's actually very difficult to do um, for a group of people who might be coming in from, you know, 10, 11, 12 different clubs. So that's been really successful for France. But I have a feeling coming up to this World Cup that what they will try to do is uh, they will try to 
um, move to an on-ball game. And I think that the the camps that they've already started, they'll be looking to try to bring in some of the stuff that they were working on during the Six Nations and maybe push that on again. Because I think France, a bit in the way, the same way that La Rochelle do, once you own the ball and teams find it very difficult to get it back off you, you can squeeze the life out of them in a way that's similar to kick pressure in principle, but it's on the offensive side of the ball, if that makes sense. So that your kicking becomes way shorter uh, and your your, your 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 carrying game, certainly for the French, I think will become a lot narrower, but with the capacity to just retain the ball, roll across the defence and then wait for opportunities. And I think that the longer you're able to do that, the more those opportunities will pass up. And I think this is where the having cohesion comes in because if you're able to build a sort of a relationships between players where you've got your top team you can start building frameworks uh you know phase play gimmicks power plays specials all these things you can start building those in and become a team then who can start to, to play that way consistently it took monster the guts of a season to do it um for france with the world-class players they have available to them and to be fair all the ingredients that you could possibly want to make that work you know world-class talent like i said um it could take two months of a settle camp three months of a settle camp which they'll have um this world cup coming up is going to be incredibly interesting um monster raj says uh different variation on the question just gone what type of teams would be a bad matchup for our playing style um monster have gone to an on-ball style as i was just saying there um, where we will hang on to possession now more often than not. One of the biggest bad matchups for teams of that nature are uh, kick pressure teams, <laughs> believe it or not, where if the opposition don't really want to engage with you on any terms except that which they can force out of you inside your 10-meter line uh, and maybe catch on the counterattack if they've gone through a long sequence of play, you have to have a heavy defense you have to have a kind of a varied kick pressure game where you're not necessarily kicking the ball to get it back because you know you're not going to get it back but you have the um the physicality to you know go you know player for player and and, and collision for collision with an on-ball team but also a lot of heavy jackals that can get in and slow down the rock ball slow down the presentation of the ball uh, and force the on-ball team to box kick then you've got to have teams in the backfield who, where you can basically win that ball in the air when they kick to move, the, you know, to advance the, the the play down maybe twenty meters or thirty meters or whatever else, and then just continue to put length on the ball yourself, and you can, in a way, punch out the on-ball team. Like this is the the ultimate matchup between Toulouse, who go into an off-ball state primarily when they play La Rochelle, um there's lots of things you've got to have like you've got to have a big scrum you've got to have a big line out and a big line out mall um, but defensively you've got to have big heavy collision winners to, on the defensive side of the ball and you've got to have uh, a lot of breakdown jackal threats as well and like the odd thing here is is that when Toulouse play Leinster they actually change up their game when they play Leinster which is just remarkable that they've continued to do that um, and they lose every time whereas when they play La Rochelle and when they play us, they look much, much better. They, like, I mean, they looked like a they, they looked like a, a lower level French side when they played Leinster um, back in the, um, the the Heineken Cup semi final. Now, to be fair, they did concede most of their tries during yellow card periods, but and Leinster are very good at taking advantage of those usually. But that'll give you an idea as to the matchup 
and the the way that styles have such a big big say now on how teams interact with each other and uh, I, I think that Toulouse's really good record over La Rochelle lately goes back to that as well where teams who are comfortable defending but who are defending heavy as in they're they're not giving up a whole ton of ground in the middle of the field they've got a good scramble and they've got a lot of breakdown like defensive breakdown threats that opens up um, a lot of threats and a lot of weaknesses for on-ball rugby and um, that's going to be the intriguing thing over the next couple of years is how teams manage to, to make those adjustments because it's easier and it's more time effective to become an off-ball team. This is where I hear Eddie Jones talking about like that, that kicking the ball and, and um, you know, uh, looking to try and, and basically he's talking about playing kick pressure for Australia. It's more cardio effective. So if you've got a lot of players uh, coming in from all over the world or who are coming in from disparate um, clubs or whatever else, it's easier to run a kick pressure style game and like South Africa are a really good example of this with the World Cup just gone when that game worked and I think it still can work um, it's basically really difficult to deal with because you've got if you're going to hang on to the ball you're taking on a lot of contact and you've got to have variety you've got to have like you've got to have out ball options you've got to have a really complex scheme to make it work so you're basically not you know running into a brick wall over and over again um, but that's the, going to be the big battle of, the, of this World Cup I feel the teams who are going to be kick pressure counter transition which is in the middle and then heavy on ball that's going to be the the, the three game states that are the, that are the most popular at the moment and that are going to be i think the 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 big battle when it comes to the tactical side of uh, this year's world cup this one's from p dog 8 does winning this year totally transform the project will uh, this allow uh, Munster to bring high potential young guys through even faster and rotate down some of the older guys for example could we see Peter Romani moving to the bench next year in big games um, well I, I think as long as Peter Romani is um, playing at the level that he's at now which is again fairly high level rugby um, I think you'll see him involved in the starting team for the most part now whether he'll still be the captain next year I'm not sure they'll have a captain during the, the World Cup because uh, that, that, that'll start um, at the end of well around the, the quarterfinal or semi-final stage um, of the, the World Cup so um, the, the Irish players who come out of that are going to be on a cool down with minutes for a, a good long while I would say so Munster will need to name a captain in the interim so that'll be an interesting discussion I, I, I'd like for them Munster to make a decision like that you could go and, and maybe pick somebody out of left field like an Alex Kandelan or somebody like that um, as opposed to like somebody safe like maybe Jack O'Donoghue or Niall Scannell there's logic in both choices really but that's the only way I could see Peter Romani being rotated down now I think next year he could be a guy you could add, add real value off the bench but uh, I, I think when it comes to the project overall look I, I don't think that at the start of the season Munster were saying internally we're going to win the URC this year it turned out that way where Munster had that that fantastic run towards the end of the season where everything that we would have wanted all clicked at the right time. We had a completely free and clear injury list for the first time in God only knows how long. Um, and that you know put us into a position where once we got our best team in the field, using the style of rugby that you know we had turned out to be really proficient at, we won a final. 
And like with regards to the project, I think it certainly moves Munster up way ahead of schedule, given on what we would have been expecting coming into this season. Because again, I think the idea would be that the coaching team get their feet under the table, they clear out some of the players that they felt needed cleaning out, they develop some of the guys that they felt would have needed developing or upscaling. And then year two, maybe year three, you know, you make a push for a trophy. To win it in the first season is not bonus territory, but it's 100% ahead of schedule from where I think Munster would have seen this project being at this point. So I think what it does is that it gives a bit of breathing room to the organization, first of all, financially, um, allows them to go and, you know, go out there and get some sponsorship deals as, you know, the URC champions. And, you know, there'll be a, a return at the gate, I would say, ahead of next season. That'll be something that I think for sure we can see. But with regards to the project overall, I think it'll just embolden them because what they saw this year was is that when they trust guys like John Hodnett, Calvin Nash, Shane Daly, uh, Alex Kendallin, Josh Witcherly, Dermot Barron, Jack Crowley, like they all show up. Like those guys were backed and they showed up with big performances. That says to me that you can make the same sort of, 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 of bank. And look at Paddy Patterson, by the way, how well he played this season. I think what you can see is that we have talent in this group and one of the biggest things about this URC title win is that the confidence that that, that it'll give the group as well. Like over the last, you know, seven or eight years, maybe a bit longer, you could be forgiven for thinking that if you don't play rugby in Dublin, you don't know how to win trophies or you don't have what it takes to win big. And that could be something that could sneak in even subconsciously because it's there in the media, it's there in the sort of in, in the fan bubble as well. But I think with the the winning of this trophy, it shows that hang on, we have talent here as well. We have really good players here too. So we don't need to worry too much about getting these guys in. Obviously they'll they'll balance it with like the fella's physical readiness and, and whatnot, but Next year, I wouldn't. I would say there's no reason why you shouldn't be seeing a lot more of Edwin Adogbo injury allowing, a lot more Tom O'Hearn injury allowing, and you know, like the likes of Fionn Gibbons, the, and other players as well, guys who could come into year one who I think are incredibly ready for pro rugby as is to see a good bit more of them during the URC, like likes of Ruan Quinn, guys like Brian Gleeson. So I think there's there's real talent there, and I think that's the the big thing for Munster is that with the project being so ahead of schedule now you can take that time to invest minutes into these players knowing that well like the 12 year streak is gone nobody is looking to go back to oh well it's okay if we don't win anything this year now was the result absolutely not but i think what we've seen is and even based on this year is that you can lose a few games if you get into the playoffs anything can happen and I think with the players that ended up being developed this season and who who ended up getting fairly decent minutes and mainly talking about Eben and Dogbo here, but you could look at the minutes that Kendellan put down. Like he got, you know, in, he's, he's in a senior contract now, obviously, but year two academy, like from a timescale perspective, you know, those guys were given plenty of opportunities this year and just completely came back and, and rewarded that investment. So I think what it does is it gives them freedom from okay, we must win every game to, we can put guys out there now. And as long as we're in, you know, the top, you know, top three or four teams, like we'll want to get a home draw this time. Like we, we did it the hard way, you know, this season, but you know, we'd probably like to do it maybe a little bit handier, even just for the home quarterfinal, like maybe put it in Parky Cueve or whatever. 
you know, to get that home advantage. We know that we can win now against these teams when it comes to the knockout rugby in the URC, at least, never mind Europe. But we also know that when you back these guys, more often than not, they come back and they reward you. So that's going to be the big thing, I think, that they'll that they'll take from it. Uh, Stage Ball says, does winning the URC help or hinder Roundtree when it comes to dealing with New Sephora? On the one hand, Roundtree has ended Monster's trophy drought in his very first season, so the IRFU will be keener to keep him happy, particularly with Leinster coming into an unavoidable period of turbulence next year. On the other, winning the URC could be used to undermine Roundtree if he says that he needs a marquee front row signings. For example, how could we need a front row signing when we won the URC in the hardest possible way? That's a very good question. And I think when it comes to dealing with New Sephora... There is no real one way to approach, you know, getting what you want from this guy. I think the primary thing he wants is opportunities for Irish players that can then end up playing for Ireland as a result off the back of that. Now, you know, over the last couple of seasons, I think the last two or three, there's definitely been a a greater focus with Leinster players being involved at test level. That comes with benefits, like the central central contract um, buff that that Leinster get, as well as the you know players advancing because they're 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 playing a lot of Test rugby. But I think that there's a downside to it too, which I think they've seen this season, which is that if they've got a huge workload in November and in the Six Nations, guys come back with redlining minutes. They might come back with niggling injuries where they're not the same player that they were up to that point. Um, but like that's the sort of downside that comes with it as well you know when you've got all those guys at at, at test level for Roundtree he's got a strong case right now where he's won a trophy for Munster the first guy to do it since uh, prior to Netflix (laughs) being introduced into Ireland Um, so as a result he has shown that within the constraints that he was given which is you've got to promote a lot lot of young players uh, coming up this season he can do that and win which if you're new Sephora you might say well why should you get permission to sign any player you want now Um, but I think on the other side of it you could say too that you know the season up until that point had a lot of flux in it and that to get the most out of the young players that we have maybe we could bring in a body or two into the front row that might give especially when you look at the, the, the players that have left over the last couple of se- uh, like the last couple of months rather um, in midfield um, you know, James French has moved on as well. So there's a bit of space coming up, I would say, when you look at John Ryan and Stephen Archer next year, both on one-year contracts, both playing outstanding rugby, by the way, but heading into their mid-30s with Roman Salanoa and, and you know, question marks over Keenan Knox at this stage as to whether he can, you know, push on and, you know, become a, a an option for Munster because, like, that's was expected this year hasn't happened mainly because there's a few niggles there as well but like as in when he came back fit they just felt that Archer and Salanoa were playing far better when I, I can't I can't disagree but that's the, the big challenge next year where at a certain point though if a guy's not pushing on then you need to move on from that guy you know and I think that's something that this coaching group haven't been at all shy in, in putting to fellas that you know that like their like their time at the province is kind of is done you know whether they're on contract or not and I think that's been a a positive for them in one way but like I think what that will give to Roundtree is is that look I'm making sure that we're getting as many top level guys as possible these fellas are now winning trophies what can we do to double down on that? What can we do to build momentum with those guys who were there and make sure that we have a, I suppose, a system that is getting the most out of them? And to do that, 
maybe we need to get a world-class guy in the front row be it hooker or proper whatever else maybe we can push on the guys that way by training with them look at what we've done with Edwin Adogbo look at what we've done with Thomas O'Hearn look at what we've done with Finney Witcherly you know Evan O'Connell these guys working with the likes of Orgy Snayman that's the kind of, of of momentum I think you want to double down on where I think it would be a mistake to think okay well look all's rosy in the garden now I think you want to try and and I think we've, we've been in that boat before and I think that there's more impetus than ever now to keep building on momentum by adding quality to the quality that's already there especially in areas where I think we need it still which is more tight power in the front five I think is where we need to add uh, based on you know like the, the quality that's there we want to enhance that even further so um, yeah that's a good question there and I think that it'll be difficult and I think that you know round three winning I think is only a good thing for him and for his um, for his prospects both from a, for a new contract where I'd be shocked if he wasn't talking about one um, and you know to, to get the the permission that he needs to, to help make Munster an even more formidable side when it comes to uh, the European Cup uh, in the next season or two. I think that's something that would be a fair enough question for Roundtree to, to, to put to New Sephora and look to try and get a positive answer on. Thank you very much for that question, by the way. Stage Ball. Uh, Thomas R says, Has Leinster Ball finally been rumbled? Are teams now familiar with their schemes and sorting ways to overcome them? They, they actually are. And another question has been added here as well. If we feel that Leinster got an easier path through the season because non-Irish teams didn't go all out against them, which teams do we see fancying a crack off them next season especially in the early rounds post Rugby World Cup I'll uh, get to that in a second when it comes to Leinster's style of play um, that was kind of inevitable and like even talking to different coaches and players around the leagues like Leinster are an incredibly well scouted team at this stage where there's so much video and film on them and this is especially when it comes to um, the Irish national team as well who aren't the exact same as Leinster but they have a lot of the same playing principles uh, and a lot of the same personnel obviously as well so there's a lot of energy being put into well look Ireland are the number one team in the world Ireland are Grand Slam champions how do we break these guys how do we um, attack them to a stage where if France will say want to win a Six Nations who are they going to have to beat Ireland if in the World Cup South Africa want to get a good draw and get out of that out of that pool. Who will they have to beat? Ireland. In the knockout stages, either France or New Zealand will have to look at um, Ireland possibly as being a team that they need to break and, and, and beat. And I think one of the big things of, of Leinster's counter-transition game and the, the additions to it is that it is not unplayable. Uh, Leinster has been a lot of talk about Leinster being the best team in Europe and all this other stuff. Leinster have always been a really, really good team. But I think when it comes to like the highest level games available to them stylistically their style of play does have a weakness and it's ended up being La Rochelle and a big focus on Will Skelton like he's a you know like a golem that he's gonna you know beat Leinster whenever they play them he is just a really good proponent of on-ball rugby that a team who plays on-ball is able to use to a very high level that style of play is a bad matchup for counter-transition rugby especially the style that Leinster play at test level, that's actually quite difficult to, to, to beat them in that manner because you don't have the time together as a group to be able to build that sort of on-ball structure that you need to be able to beat them. Um, one of the things that's been a constant for Leinster is that maybe if you box kick to them uh, and 
up the risk of there being more scrums you can get an advantage out that way but i think with the refereeing of the scrum in the last couple of years that's removed that as an option i think south africa certainly had that in their back pocket that their scrum would be a dominant part of the game but it wasn't refereed at a level where they were earning penalties from it so it became useless almost you know especially when they were the ones who were knocking on they, they weren't earning the penalties that they i think if they'd been able to kick them over or kick them deep Ireland are in big trouble and, and you know Ireland slash Leinster would be in trouble in the same scenario but because again a lot of the personnel are the exact same so like I think when it comes to Leinster's style of play I do think they need to change things up a little bit but that's way easier said than done like the way they've been playing is ingrained for the last six or seven years and, and certainly has been honed into a specific um uh, like a boiled down version of like hyper efficient over the last couple of years where if you don't have the quality to live with them, you'll just find yourself running after a bouncing ball back towards your own try line more often than not playing that game. Then you turn around, you slice at a kick, goes out on the full or whatever else. They have a line out in an under 22. All of a sudden, they've scored two phases later. That's the the pressure of playing Leinster is that you have to play error-free rugby and, and they've got really good players that can turn it around, even if you've got a decent game plan to go up against them. Um, so I think teams certainly have and I think they, they would have seen what Munster did this season what La Rochelle did and I think France certainly paid a lot of attention to what La Rochelle did and went well maybe we can beat them like this um, France came up short in Dublin but I think they will be a more formidable side when it comes to their on-ball capacity uh, if we were to play them in the World Cup because they will have a ton of cohesion together and the big challenge for South Africa as well is can they get that sort of game going the big big issue for them will be halfbacks um they may decide to go down the kick pressure route which will mean that ireland versus south africa is a ton of kicking as we want to get a different type of kick return than they do which means that we'll both kick for position until we get what we want that's set up to be a really tense game even now months out um but i think there's certainly uh, a need for ireland to add a little bit more to what we've seen in the six nations just gone um, because you know the challenges coming up I think this Six Nations we had one other super elite team in um, France uh, we had one really good side in, in Scotland and then all the other teams are in different stages of, of woe poisoning at the moment which is you know Wales are obviously in a fairly uh, toxic state of, of woe poisoning but England as well and Italy are, are certainly improved but not really at the level that they'll be concerning um Ireland for over the course of a full 80 minutes for a number of years yet and they'll need to continue developing as they go obviously also thank you very much for those questions as well um this is from Munaheen um you've said that Munster are a bad matchup for the Stormers but who's a bad matchup for Munster with the current system oh that's a similar question as the as before I would say Toulouse are an incredibly bad matchup for Munster at the moment um and I think the Sharks as well Prime Sharks as they were now whether they'll have a big change up in system which I imagine they will uh, they are also a horrible matchup for us as well with their full team out with the likes of Etzebeth and uh, their other um, power players available to them they were a fucking nightmare matchup for us um, and I think that showed in the games we played against them this season even the one we managed to draw um, the great uh, the great it says uh, oh this is the other Tom does the success of on ball rugby recently and potential move of that game in the direction uh, in that direction provide an opportunity for teams that always seem to prefer that play style like Japan and Fiji to take a few steps forward and get ahead of the curve well yes and no um, 
one of the things that the, the modern on-ball game needs is size. Um, I think what Japan showed, and this is true over the last number of years as well, one of the big things that people took from Japan's and um, Tony Brown's 3-2-X or Jamie Joseph's 3-2-X was um, you need to be playing on transition quite a bit. So even though Japan were really good on the ball, they still kicked the ball quite a bit. And I think that most teams who kind of play with a smaller build will still kick more and try to play off counter transition. So not just the first phase of transition, but going into that 3-2x shape gives you good depth. It gives you good options, especially if you're after one or two or maybe three kicks up and down the field where players are out of alignment and you're able to kind of catch guys on a bad blitz. But I think they'll broadly stay the same because you do need the size to play that. I think South Africa are uniquely positioned to do so because if you look at Munster with our, our prime category A team that we were putting out towards the end of the season there's huge size in that team like you look at our back five in particular like we were even if you're like just go with uh Snayman, Klain, Byrne, Coombs and Omani like there are four half lock build players there or two half lock build, build players uh, and two full-on full-size tight head locks like uh, with, with Snayman being that tight head lock power forward same sort of build as, as Will Skelton when it comes to the impact and you know a combo flanker and Peter Manny who's a, a big man himself that's a huge build of a team like you need size to make that work and like with that size you can have your specialist scrummagers in your front row or support forwards in the front row because you've got that power like we were able to get that team on the field towards the end of the season we've never been there before to have that size, like you look at the, the like the the side that was playing Stormers for around the thirty fifth minute on, like you had Snayman, Clane, uh, Byrne, Coombs, and Hodnett, like that's like I said four like four lock bills, two half locks, um because Coombs is a half lock power forward these days with the way he's playing, so that gives you a ton of power. Not every team has that. Like we were playing really big towards the end of the season. Like, and I think that's something that's gone a little bit under the radar is just how big we managed to play. Um, that will give you the advantage when it comes to holding onto the ball. Like when you're a smaller team, you can't really afford to get dug in on teams like that. Like you've got to keep, you've got to keep your distance in the mid range if you're a smaller team because you can't end up getting smashed up by the opposition's defense. That's one of the big things about it. But I think that like South Africa have the big potential to go down that route as well. But the big limiting factor for them will be their halfbacks because at the moment they don't have that. I won't say as well that they don't have the like the the complexity in their coaching as of yet, which is so difficult to do because guys are coming in from you know from Munster, from France. They're coming in from the like from from England, from Japan, from the all four of the South African uh, franchises. It's uh, very very difficult for them to build that in because it's just the the distance and the there's so much. There's so much difficulty there. So it's like, um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those really um, interesting pockets of the game at the moment where we're, we're, we're seeing the game change in front of our eyes. We're seeing what works now being so different. And I think that's the, the big bonus for any team who's kind of got that capacity and that size to play it, isn't that? This way works if you've got the coaching and the halfbacks to make it work. 
and that's the interesting thing for for all of the teams coming into this upcoming World Cup. So thank you very much for this uh, listening into this TRK mailbag. I will have another TRK mailbag coming up on Monday of next week on the five euro tier. If you like, any send any questions for that because I've got already got a bunch. But if you'd like to send in a few more, you can do so at info at threeredkings.com or leave me a comment or a message uh, on Patreon, and I'll add it into those into this upcoming podcast next week as well. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber. I will talk to you again very very soon. Thank you.